Good afternoon and welcome to the summary podcast of the IASB board meeting which took place between uh, 20th, 20th and 31st of January 2013 in London. Um, I'm joined here today by IASB member Stephen Cooper and the IASB's Senior Technical Director Alan Tashira. Uh, before we begin I should point out that all views expressed today are those of individual staff members and do not necessarily represent the views of the IASB. Um, so without further ado, uh, I shall hand over to Alan, um, who is going to talk us through uh, some recent events, including the uh, Disclosure Forum, which uh, the ISB recently hosted. Thanks, Chris. Um, yeah, we actually began the week rather than with a, a public um, board meeting. We had a Disclosure Forum. Um, it's a very important part of our conceptual framework development and, and the ongoing issues about um, the quality of disclosures in financial reporting. Um, we held the session here in London. Um, there were around about uh, 140 external um, people who were attended that, plus um, m most of the board members and some st um, some staff. Um, it was an excellent session, I think it was. It ran here in London from 8.30 in the morning till 3, just after 3 in the afternoon. So it was a full day of discussions. Um, we had a series of guest speakers who talked about um, expectations of investors, for example, and also um, the, the sort of challenges I think preparers have when they're, they're putting together financial statements. And the whole purpose of this was to try and get a common understanding of really what the disclosure problem is. Is it about the, the, cl the clarity of information in financial reports? Is it about overload, so that in other words they're cluttered up with uh, irrelevant information and so on? Um, I think we've got some fairly interesting common themes that came out of that in terms of, um, you know, I think within the whole of the the disclosure process from the beginning to the end, um, it, it, quite common theme that came across is the preparers are actually trying to tell a story and, and users are in, and investors are interested in hearing that story. Um, and even though the standard setters, the auditors and the regulators are all trying to enhance the quality of the reporting, there are some sort of little frictions in there that potentially get in the way. And what we're trying to um, get out of this is identify some areas where the ISB may be able to take some action in terms of um, thinking about any problems it has in the way it expresses its financial reporting requirements. I think the auditors and regulators have also started to think, um, in this discussion form as a catalyst for it, about the way they operate as well in terms of um, treating financial reporting processes more about communication than, than compliance. The, um, although it was a full day discussion, the, the, the output for this that we, we're putting together now uh, you'll see two things come along. One is in the next ISB meeting in February, which is uh, only two weeks away, um, we'll have a brief update uh, be provided by the staff of, of the day. Um, and we're looking towards the end of March to put together a feedback statement in which we'll, we'll summarise the, the main messages we heard and also the results of the survey that we, um, we put together and, and undertook um, leading up to the Disclosure Forum where um, I think around about 250 people provided us with uh, very interesting feedback on the way they perceive uh, financial reporting and uh, what they believe the disclosure problem is. Sure. Okay. Well, thank you, Alan. Um, moving on to the, uh, the business of the day, um, I think, Stephen, um, you are going to take us through discussions surrounding the insurance project. Uh, yes, thank you. Uh, the insurance project is, is nearly the end of, of the current stage, leading to uh, the, the revised exposure draft. Um, and we had just a few sweep issues uh, to deal with as, as part of this meeting. Uh, I just wanted to highlight two of those. Um, there are uh, a few others which uh, can be found in update, but uh, uh, the two that I wanted to highlight was 
the, the allocation of insurance contract revenue when there's a change in the pattern of expected claims. Um, I think in these podcasts we've talked many times about uh, insurance contract revenue or the earned premium or premiums due approach and, and how a revenue line uh, could be determined for insurance contracts. In the original exposure draft we had a summarized margin approach. A lot of the feedback on that was that uh, we should have some sort of volume measure on the face of the income statement. And one of the key questions that we will be asking in this re-exposure is about how to determine that, that revenue line. Anyway, we, uh, we, we made some decisions on this in previous months, but there was one issue uh, that the staff wanted to bring back, which was when there is a, uh, a change in the pattern of expected claims, but not a change necessarily in the overall amount of expected claims, and whether that should result in a reallocation of revenue between different accounting periods. Um, so the board uh, came to the conclusion that it should, uh, and that there should be a prospective reallocation. Uh, we felt that that would better reflect the, uh, the, the pattern of earning of this insurance contract revenue. The other issue I wanted to mention is to do with transition, um, and in particular how to determine the, the uh, unrecognised revenue at the point of, of transition. Uh, this requires uh, an estimation of the, the residual margin, both at, at the inception of a contract and then rolling that forward to the date of transition, uh, because the, the residual margin plus the expected future uh, cash outflows uh, together with the risk adjustment will then determine the total amount of revenue to be recognised in future periods. Uh, so the board decided on uh, a retrospective approach for estimating the, um, the residual margin at the point of transition. Uh, if it's impractical to, to do that, um, then we're saying that we should uh, estimate the residual margin by making uh, the maximum use of objective data as possible, even though it isn't full retrospective application. One of the difficult issues was how to determine the risk adjustment uh, at inception, um, and uh, that, that's needed to then determine what the residual margin is at inception, which is then rolled forward. We decided that the risk adjustment at inception should be equal to the risk adjustment at transition. Uh, that's to, in order to minimise the, the hindsight problems that would arise in trying to estimate what that was uh, on the inception date itself. So these are all to do with transition and, and related to that uh, insurance contract revenue. Uh, I think, Alan, that's, that's pretty much the end of our deliberations and the staff are, are entering a, a drafting phase now with the aim of publishing an exposure draft in the second quarter. They are indeed. Um, so, yeah, the second quarter's right, so it'll be a busy time for us because we've uh, got some, you know, one of the items that we didn't discuss this month was um, impairment and of course that's because we're in the, the drafting mode as well for that. So we should see that, um, I think it is just the beginning of March, first week or so in March for, for impairment. So you'll see impairment and then leases exposure draft um, popping along and then um, the insurance will be, I think, is the third one along. Okay, yes, certainly uh, a busy period coming up. Um, moving on to one of our uh, newer projects, um, reg regulated activities. Um, Alan, um, I believe you were going to take us through this. Yeah, and of course you'll recall, rate regulated, we've got two basic phases to this, um, in that uh, the board discussed rate regulated activities um, beat the end of last year and decided that we would actually develop an interim standard that would um, essentially al allow for a, a temporary or a, an inter interim solution to, to rate regulate it um, while it develops a longer term solution. 
And so of the two phases, if I talk about the, the latter one first, um, we're looking to put together a discussion paper on rate regulated activities. And the plan is for that discussion paper to be developed for publication around about uh, third or fourth quarter of this year. I think it's about October is, uh, in the plan. Um, we've actually recently advertised last week for uh, membership of uh, an advisory um, or um, consultative group to help us with, with that project. Um, but, but because it's going to take us a while to get that out, and so you know, discussion paper later this year, once you've got the feedback and so on, you're talking about two to three years before um, we decide whether we should develop a standard or, um, or not. So what we're doing is allowing for an interim solution. Um, we've, the staff put together a proposal and are currently preparing that exposure draft now that will essentially allow first-time adopters to grandfather or carry forward their existing um, accounting for rate-regulated activities. It's provided, of course, that they've actually been um, dealing with rate-regulated um, items within their financial statements. So they'll be allowed to continue their local gap requirements. Um, there are some constraints around that a little bit in that um, in some jurisdictions what you do is you adjust your property plant and equipment or other assets for the amount related to the rate regulation activity. Um, you, you won't be allowed to do that after you transition into IFRS. What you have to do is separate any rate regulated components um, out of the property plant and equipment and show those as separate lines. And that means that uh, all of the property plant and equipment and other assets will be prepared and presented on the same basis as all IFRS um, complying entities, whether they have rate regulated activities or not. And so we've isolated the rate regulated component out of there. Um, we've also got some presentation disclosure requirements around that so people can understand um, what's actually gone into those rate, rate regulated items. Um, and as I said, that's the holding pattern. Um, we're putting together an exposure draft now, and the plan is to, tr if, assuming we get support for the exposure draft, we'd uh, try to get that um, completed uh, as, a, as a full IFRS um, before the end of this year. Okay, thanks very much. Um, Stephen, we, we did, uh, we've mentioned earlier that we didn't um, speak about impairment uh, during this meeting. We did, however, uh, cover some hedge accounting um, as part of the uh, financial instruments project, obviously. Um, perhaps you'd like to talk us through uh, the discussions surrounding that. Yeah, the, these were issues that arose from the publication on our website of the review draft uh, for the final requirements on, on hedge accounting, uh, the, the new chapter to be added to IFRS 9. We put a re review draft on the website September last year for a 90-day uh, period. Um, uh, we wanted people to comment on the drafting, uh, tell us about um, fatal flaws to do. Uh, with that, we obviously have finished our deliberations, so the basic model uh, is in place. But clearly the board um, took note uh, uh, of the responses that we had uh, to that uh, fatal flaw uh, review draft. Uh, as a result of that, uh, there were three issues uh, that came up for um, to, to be brought to the board by the staff. Uh, one of them was to do with uh, hypothetical derivatives, and in particular, uh, the application of, of that to cross-currency interest rate swaps. Um, then there was the uh, own-use contracts, and, uh, and also the requirements uh, in respect of the, the so-called macro-hedge accounting uh, in respect to cash flow hedges. Um, all th particularly the, the first and the third of uh, the ones which I just mentioned uh, elicited uh, quite a lot of responses uh, from our constituents and uh, it was something that um, uh, the board 
uh, the staff uh, brought to board at, the, at this meeting. Let me talk about the hypothetical derivative issue in, in the first place. Um, where cross-currency interest rate swaps uh, are currently used, uh, IS39, many people applying IS39 apply the hypothetical derivative approach, which effectively uh, imputes onto the hedged item the, the full change in the value of the hedging instrument, resulting in no ineffectiveness. The principle that we had within IFRS 9 was that the use of the hypothetical derivative approach was to be a technique to measure the hedged item and not automatically impute the change in the value of the hedging instrument onto that hedged item. That the consequence of that is that there would be uh, quite a change in practice in relation to these particular swap transactions. Many people felt that that wouldn't be appropriate and that the, the basis uh, differences which arise in this situation aren't in the form of ineffectiveness, they're more like, uh, like costs of hedging. So there are a number of requests either for us to return to the IS39 treatment, the board rejected that because we felt that that would be inconsistent with the objectives of, of hedge accounting as we've outlined uh, in this proposal, or that the board should consider extending what we've already got in IFRS 9 uh, for uh, for the cost of hedging, this is to do with forward points uh, and option premium, uh, extending the application of that to this cross-currency interest rate swap issue. The board decided that we would do that, that, uh, uh, that the principle that we have already uh, in the proposals for those two areas could be extended and that uh, the, the, the basis that we have in this situation is of the nature of, uh, of a cost of hedging. So that, uh, that will be implemented by the staff uh, in, in the revised drafting. Uh, the second issue was uh, in respect of own use contracts. Uh, there's a, uh, an ability under the proposal to, to use a fair value approach uh, for these own use contracts. The problem was that uh, sort of many people observed that we would end up with a prospective application of these things and it would be a, a gradual phasing in which would reduce comparability. So the suggestion was that we uh, allow uh, a more widespread application at transition of fair value. The problem with that is that it would um, result in the potential for cherry picking and, uh, and therefore potential for, for lack of comparability and manipulation of profit. So the board decided that uh, it was sympathetic to the idea of using fair value, but it would make it, we would do it on an all or none basis. So you either have to apply it uh, to, to all uh, of these um, contracts or, or none at all. Uh, and we felt that was a, a good compromise uh, and, and was result in more comparable uh, and relevant information. And the third issue uh, was to do with the so-called uh, macro cash flow hedge accounting. Uh, IS39 doesn't actually have a separate requirement for, for macro hedging uh, in respect of cash flow hedges. It is a one-to-one -one micro model, but there are certain techniques which are used to apply that in a in a more of an open portfolio situation through the designation and de-designation of, of hedges and, and also so-called proxy hedging. Many people, when they read the review draft, felt that the, uh, the draft would, would restrict what companies currently do, significantly restrict what companies currently do, and they were worried that uh, they would have to discontinue some of these activities only to perhaps be... Um, be able to, to do something different when the board's current macro hedge accounting project produces 
a final standard sometime down the road. And many felt that it would be inappropriate to, to be in this position. Now, it wasn't the intention of the board to make significant changes to macro, so-called macro cash flow hedge accounting. And I think um, there was some, uh, some difference of, of understanding as to what the words in the standard mean, meant. So the board um, uh, very much sympathetic to that. Uh, we want to clarify the wording and make sure that uh, what we intended is, is perfectly clear. And the intention was that we, we, we shouldn't restrict the ability to use uh, the so-called macro cash flow hedge accounting and that the words that we have uh, would permit companies to carry on with the proxy hedging and the designation de-designation as long as that was consistent with their overall risk management objective. Um, so uh, so that was uh, sort of the, the main focus of the discussion. Now there were calls for the ISB to uh, somehow uh, do a scope exclusion and permit companies to continue to apply IS39. Uh, the board uh, has asked the staff to go away and uh, and look at that more closely. Um, whilst we, I think, sort of took decisions to clarify what the status is, uh, what we meant in the IFRS 9 proposals, uh, rather than make a final decision on that, we did ask the staff to go away and, and investigate the potential for more of a grandfathering type approach to, to IS39. So the staff will come back uh, and report back to the board uh, on that. One thing I ought to just remember is that one of the, the areas that particular concern that people had was the proposal that we would withdraw uh, the implementation guidance which is present within IS39. And in particular, there are some specific, um, uh, some specific guidance which relates to this macro uh, cash flow hedge accounting. Uh, in the review draft, the staff uh, wrote that, uh, that these are uh, are going to be withdrawn. Um, but I think many people felt that withdrawing it meant you couldn't do it. Uh, the status of these interpretations were, were more of educational material. Uh, we felt that it's inconsistent with the way in which standards are now written that we should retain this. Um, and, and I think what, we'd, what we're going to try and emphasize is that withdrawing these things is, to use the phrase that in the staff papers, is without prejudice. We're not saying that uh, this the, the application which is described within IS39 is, is incorrect. Uh, we're simply saying that these things don't have any status under IS39. They're not part of the standard itself. They have sort of educational material type status. Uh, and withdrawing them uh, it, it doesn't imply that, uh, that's, that, that that particular treatment is no longer appropriate. Anyway, a lot of it's clarification of word, wording. Um, as I said, the staff is going to come back on, on the potential uh, or otherwise for us to uh, continue to apply certain parts of IS39 within this particular area. So therefore, the final decision on all of this is going to be taken um, uh, within the next few weeks. Okay. Well, thanks, Stephen. Um, uh, moving on from that, I understand that there are a few matters uh, arising from the Interpretations Committee. Um, that you wanted to uh, discuss. Oh, yes, this is the, the novation issue. Um, uh, as many of you will be aware, uh, many over-the-counter derivatives transactions are now being restructured so that the, the counterparty, rather than being uh, a, a, another entity um, that you're transacting with, would actually be some sort of central clearing party. And that change in legislation is going to result in a 
a change in the status of the derivative such that under current IS39 and IFRS9, there will be a requirement to discontinue hedge accounting and then reapply. Discontinue and reapplying for something which effectively hasn't changed other than the uh, it's been novated to a, to a different counterparty um, would be misleading. Uh, many people have said that we need to make a, a limited scope amendment to both IS39 and IFRS9 to make sure that when this happens, this move to the, the central um, uh, counterparty uh, um, uh, arises, that we don't have this discontinuance of hedge accounting. I don't think this would be a very controversial issue. I think most people agree that uh, the change is more one of, of sort of legal form rather than any economic substance. So we're proposing to do a limited scope amendment to IS39 and IFRS9, uh, which will be a limited scope amendment to uh, the chapter that I was just talking about, just to make this one very small, narrow change. Uh, and because of the urgency of this, uh, I think within Europe this change is going to be implemented uh, within the next few months. Because of the urgency, we've decided that we would have a limited scope exposure draft with an exposure period of just 30 days, a comment period of just 30 days. Uh, I think, Alan, under our due process handbook, uh, the circumstances for that is where it's a, a non-controversial issue and, and there's a significant degree of urgency. Yeah, and 30 days is our, is our absolute minimum unless we get the, um, the full trustees to give approval. So um, it's with our due process oversight committee. They're going to review the documentation as well, but I think it's worth it. It's not, uh, as you said, it should be non-controversial. Um, I think the FASB is having to do take similar steps in the US because this is something that's been done worldwide in terms of dealing with this, these types of instruments. So it's it's not um, it's not a change in accounting or circum. It's, a, it's actually a change in the way that they're. Um, they're designated, well, designated is the wrong word, we're talking about hedging, isn't it? It's the way that um, the over-the-counter um, instruments are being managed. Yeah, I mean, I think we regard it as a technicality, yeah. um, but uh, but we will expose it as, as, as we should and um, and make sure that uh, we have uh, we have this issue well understood and the, and the drafting yeah. correct. Yeah, so that should be out. Um, we expect to get that out, I th hopefully, next week, I think it is. We're trying to get out in the first two weeks of February. Uh, and then, as you say, 30-day comment period and uh, so we can get that finalised. Okay, thanks very much. Um, moving on, uh, I think the last item on the agenda is the uh, post-implementation review of uh, IFRS 8 operating segments. Um, Alan? Yeah, just briefly on that, we've, um, the staff brought back um, three papers on the post-implementation review of IFRS 8. Um, the one was essentially a summary of the 62 comment letters we received and the other summary was um, an update of the, our, um, the academic research that had been reviewed for us. Um, so fairly consistent messages across here. I think um, the best thing for people to do is to read the documents and, and perhaps wait for the, um, the report that will come out. Um, there was reasonably um, positive feedback from preparers on, on IFRS 8. Uh, and, and even reasonably strong um, signals from the uh, the investor community as well that um, the, uh, the the standard was reasonably well supported. I, I think the, the important thing is the the board's now in a position to prepare its final report. So over the next couple of months, the staff will be um, drafting and putting together a report for um, for review by the ISB, and then we'll publish that with any recommendations um, that, that come out of the review. Okay, great. Um, anything else coming up? Uh well, the, um, we're heading right into a quick cycle turnaround for the ISB meeting. We've got uh, the meetings um, 
basically it was a three-week gap between them, not a four-week gap. So um, for us, it uh, begins on the 18th of February. So and by the time this podcast is, uh, is put on, on websites, uh, around about two weeks. Um, the most important thing is there's a, it'll be dominated by the conceptual framework. Um, you should see coming out as an observer note or a, a staff paper, the first draft of the discussion paper on conceptual framework. We have about 15 hours worth of board time allocated uh, in, in the February board meeting. Um, the other thing is that um, also by the time this podcast is available, uh, there is a podcast on conceptual framework which was uh, put together today. So um, it, I think it's you know, there's a lot of momentum building up on that project. Um, so 15 hours is quite a lot of uh, dedicated time for, for that in February. Um, the other dominant one will be uh, re- uh, revenue recognition, I think. We've got about a three-hour time slot put aside. Um, and that's, that is really getting towards the end of that project uh, for finalisation. Um, the SME uh, implementation groups meeting in London this week. Um, other than that, it's just all business as usual. Sure. Oh, well, um, certainly um, a busy time, uh, as, as always, uh, so it seems. Um, just before we go, thank you everyone for taking part today. Um, just a quick reminder for our listeners that a written staff summary of the tentative agree- of the decisions uh, reached by the ISB in its public meetings can be found on our website, um, ifrs.org, under the Stay Informed tab. Uh, as Alan mentioned earlier, the next board meeting will take place the week commencing the 18th of February 2013, and again, that's going to be held in London. Uh, without further ado, um, let's say thank you to both of you, and um, see you all again next time. Thank you.